Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. In Deuteronomy, Moses famously taught the Jewish people the Shema, the heart of Judaism. He told them to repeat those words day in and day out, when they sit, when they walk, when they lie down, and when they rise. In fact, God built many mechanisms to remember him into the scriptures. But what about us Christians? How can we build routines to likewise remember God throughout our day, week, month, and year? I shared this message at a weekend event called Revive last year. You may not recognize some of the references, but most of it should make sense. Also, during the sermon, I played two videos I took of the Western Wall in Jerusalem. That's a famous location where you can find many Jewish people praying. I've uploaded these videos to the Restitutio YouTube channel and also posted them on restitutio.org on the page for this episode, so you can watch them if you're curious. Here now is episode 529, Remember. I want to tell you a story about somebody named Rabbi Akiva ben Yosef. I'd like to begin with that. He was around 40 years old when he found himself in a cave. He lived about a century after Christ. And he was in this cave and he saw water dripping from the top of the cave. And he looked down to where the water was dripping and he, and he saw a little stone. And he saw the water drip, drip, drip. And at the place on the stone where the water was dripping, it was carved out. It had carved out a hollow place in the stone. And Akiva looked at that and said, huh, that's something. What's softer than water, than a drip of water? Just a little drop, boom, one, and then another, and another. Such a soft, and what's harder than a stone? And yet, because of persistence, this dripping of water carved out a hole out of something so hard as stone. And he said, if that's the case, then I can learn Torah. And he was a Jewish man, and he wanted to study Torah, but he thought he was too old. And he thought his old heart was too hard. And he said, well, I have learned that if I'm persistent, I can learn Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And he ended up getting married. There's a whole scandalous story slash legend about that. We're not going to get into it, but it's a love story. And he, he was a man of no status, poverty stricken. And his bride's father said, this guy's a loser, honey. Don't marry him. And she did anyhow. And she supported him to go off to school. And he went away to school and he became a great rabbi. And we read about him in the Talmud where it says... The Gemara relates, when they took Rabbi Akiva out to be executed, it was time for the recitation of Shema. See, what had happened is a war had broken out, and the Roman emperor named Hadrian had outlawed teaching Torah, and Rabbi Akiva continued anyhow. And so the Talmud continues, it says, And they were raking his flesh with iron combs, and he was reciting Shema, thereby accepting upon himself the yoke of heaven. His students said to him, Our teacher, even now as you suffer, you recite Shema? He said to them, 
all my days I have been troubled by the verse, with all your soul, meaning even if God takes your soul, I said to myself, when will the opportunity be afforded me to fulfill this verse? Now that it has been afforded me, shall I not fulfill it? He prolonged his uttering of the word, one, until his soul left his body and he uttered his final word, one. This is a powerful story of a man who was not willing to bend in the face of torture and death. It's hard to get at exactly what happened here. There are multiple versions of it. I think this is probably the most likely to be. be. There are other versions of it where he actually smiles. And his torturers say to him, why are you smiling? Are you a sorcerer? And he says, no, I've just been trying to fulfill the Shema my whole life. and, And you finally gave me the chance to do it. So I don't know if that is more of an apocryphal account, but what what he's talking about is this part in the Bible, in Deuteronomy, and you can go there in your own Bible if you like, because we are going to flip back to this repeatedly. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm just going to read it to you in Hebrew, and then we'll we'll look at it in English. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Ve'ahavta et Yahweh Elohecha, b'chol lavavcha, uvchol navshecha, uvchol meodecha. And that translated is... Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This statement, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, this is what they call the Shema. The Jewish people to this day, even in the ancient times, but to this day, they call it the Shema. It's the core of Judaism. And this part here where it says, one... This is the part where Rabbi Akiva died. So he's saying it over and over, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad, and on that Echad, he died. And he says it over and over. We read in the JPS commentary, the Shema's fundamental significance in Judaism is reflected in the many roles it plays and the special way it is treated. The rules for its recitation are the very first subject dealt with in the Talmud, which we just read part of that. Its first verse must be recited with full concentration on its meaning. Do you hear that? When it says, listen up, hear, listen up, O Israel. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You have to have full concentration on the meaning. This goes on to say, to prevent distraction, one must cover one's eyes when reciting it. And there are restrictions as to whom one may greet while reciting it. So somebody comes in the room and you're saying Shema, you're not allowed to say hi to that person until you finish saying Shema. Isn't that something? A child must be taught the Shema in Deuteronomy 33.4 immediately upon learning to speak. The first paragraph is recited in bed upon retiring and on one's deathbed. Following the reported precedent of Rabbi Akiva, it has been recited before martyrdom from ancient times through the present. All of this is due to the fact that the Shema serves as the quintessential expression of the most fundamental belief and commitment of Judaism. You see that? The Shema is the, I love this this, this end of the sentence. The Shema is the quintessential expression of the most fundamental belief and commitment of Judaism. That's quite a statement. 
But the Shema is not just the core of Judaism. Let's go to look at Mark chapter 12. We're going to be back in Deuteronomy 6 in just a minute, but I want to show you what Jesus said about the Shema, just so you don't think that I'm trying to convert you to Judaism, because I'm not <laughs> actually trying to do that. Uh, but you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere, and many times the best place to start is the Old Testament, so that you understand what's going on when you get to the New Testament. It says in Mark 12, 28, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? This is a key moment in the ministry of Jesus. It's recorded in the Gospels. A scribe comes up to Jesus, and this is the question. Isn't this the question? I mean, I guess there are a few big questions, but this is definitely one of the biggest questions. Jesus, what's the most important commandment of all? Tradition says there are 613 in the Jewish law. I don't know how they got that number. I'm glad I didn't have to count them. But boy, isn't it great that somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important? And Jesus doesn't hesitate to answer. He says, just like any Jewish person in his own time or who lived after him, the same thing they would all say. Shema Yisrael. Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Echad. That's what they would all say. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You've got two really central truths here. Yahweh, our God, is one. You could break that into two truths, I guess. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. But Yahweh is our God, and he is one. That's one. And then the second one, love him with everything. This is the heart. And let's go back to Deuteronomy and think about this a little bit more, because what I just endeavored to show you is that this is actually relevant to you if you name the name of Christ. If you say you're a follower of Christ, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then you cannot ignore what Jesus said is the most important commandment. You're just not allowed to. You can call yourself a Buddhist and ignore what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. You can call yourself a Muslim and ignore what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. But you can't call yourself a Christian and ignore what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. So once again, let me draw your attention to Deuteronomy. God had a real problem. He had this new people. He had brought them out of Egypt. There's a real question, and God has, I'll even show you, an anxiety about the people and what's going to happen to them, and he has a solution. And the, the issue is, how do we get these people to remember? How do we get them to remember? God had done the ten plagues, he had done all these big things, and he had brought them to a mountain, and he spoke to them audibly and said, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of the Egyptians. And 
and you shall have no other gods before me. That's what he said. That's like his hello, I'm Sean, nice to meet you. That's God's introduction. And so he gives them, he gives the people the Shema. And he says, I want you to repeat, repeat, repeat this. I want you to remember this. It's so important for you to remember this. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Meditate, I encourage you, meditate on these words. They're more profound than you might think when you first read them. When you first read them, you might think, well, that's easy. But the more you meditate upon them, the more you end up like Rabbi Akiva and asking yourself the question, well, how can I love God with all my soul? How can I love God with all my strength? How can I love God with all my heart? The next verse, as we continue, because the Shema is verses 4 and 5, but it's in a larger section, and sometimes the whole section all the way up to verse 9 is referred to as the Shema. But verse 6 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. It's not just to be something that is out here, you know, like this sign. This sign says respect every person. Greet everyone. Communicate words of respect. That's what this sign says. That's out here. That's not on my heart. I didn't even know those rules until I just read them because I just happened to look over there, right? It's not on my heart at all. It's just some external thing that Timothy Hill, Seven Manners, somebody came up with that. They're like, this, is, this would be a good thing to put over here. It's not on my heart. If it's on your heart, it's internal to you. It says then in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. I have gotten some key insights on this verse, verse 7. Just recently, in my Hebrew class, my teacher taught me something really big about this word here. It says, Vashanantam in Hebrew. It's from the, the word shanan. And it means, literally it means sharpen. Nobody translates it that way. Nobody. But it means sharpen. What they translate it as, and if you show this to a Hebrew-speaking person, what they would say is that word means repeat. Because when you sharpen something, you repeat an action over and over and over again. And so it's translated, this one word is translated, you shall teach them diligently. That's okay. It's okay. But what it really means is repeat, 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 repeat. Why? So that you remember. For whatever reason, the way God designed us, we need to be reminded. Has anyone ever read through the Bible, the whole thing? Some of you probably read through the Bible, right? And then 10 years pass and you're like, I don't remember... What's in Malachi anymore? Or I don't remember the big deal about Nahum. What was Nahum about? We need to remember. We need to, and how do you remember? You repeat, you repeat, you repeat. So this is an important word. And then it goes on. You teach them diligently to your children. And then it's when you sit in your house, 
when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. We didn't really leave much out there, did we? Okay, this is a call to obsession. God wants you to be obsessed with these words. He wants you to repeat them to your children. Don't have children? That's okay. Talk of them when you walk on the road, when you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you rise. Mutter them. Mutter them to yourself. You're the first person that needs to be reminded. Before you remind, if those of you who have children, remind your children too. But you're the first person that needs to be reminded of this. The Shema was God's brilliant idea to ensure his people passed on their beliefs to the next generation. Especially considering how difficult it was living in a, a time and a place when there were so many other gods in competition. Well, guess what? We live in a different time than they do, but there's so many other desires competing for your heart. Let's look at the next verse here. Verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I'm not going to get into the Hebrew here, but uh, just for brother Stan in the back. Totafot. That's a word nobody even knows. Like, my Hebrew teacher's just like, yeah, we, we have no idea what that means. It's translated frontlets here. It's like, what's a frontlet? I heard of an outlet, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> so sometimes, like, you, you, you read words, you're like, you know what? I kind of know what that means, but I don't really. And then you, you, you get around, like, a real expert, and they're like, yeah, none of us know either. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. I always kind of wonder what that was. But uh, I have a little video for you that I'd like to show you that I took when I was in Israel a few years back of Jewish people praying. And I think it'll show you how they interpret this verse. And what they do is they literally put tefillin, which are these leather black boxes containing scripture on their foreheads. They literally put the Shema on their head and their arm and they wrap it around with a leather strap. And this is one of the most sacred, probably the most sacred place on the entire planet for the Jewish people. This is the closest you can get to the holy place. We're actually in a cave by the western wall, also called the Wailing Wall. And you're seeing the Jewish people studying Torah, just like Rabbi Akiva, even to this day. This is 2018 when I took this video. And they're praying. And when they pray, they wear a prayer shawl and they wear these boxes on their forehead and on their arm. And they daven. And they just rock back and forth, and they say their prayers. Here's one more. Show you a little clearer of the box and the straps on the arm to be worn as a sign. And that's the Western Wall right there. This physical act ensured the people would remember. The title of my teaching this morning is Remember. This is something that's really important for us. Let's look at the next verse there. Verse 9, it says, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the idea of a mezuzah. A mezuzah is a little capsule, a little container that has the Shema in it. It has scripture in it, specifically the Shema. And it's hung by Jewish people on the frame of the door. And this was something that God had commanded them to do. Think of how God designed this whole system, this whole Shema system, so 
that they would remember. Look, if every time you enter your house, you kiss and you touch the mezuzah, you're going to remember that there's something in there. Oh, yeah, Shema. Shema is, okay. If every morning when you wake up, you say the Shema before your feet hit the ground, you're not going to forget. If every night just before you fall asleep, you say the Shema, you're not going to forget. Right? If every time you pray, you literally put scripture on your body, maybe you'll remember. <laughs> maybe. That's how thick we are. And it's not like God put together a really complicated creed for his people. Like, here are, you know, all these complicated philosophical maxims that you must memorize and repeat as a syllogism. No. Yahweh is our God. Not Baal, not Asherah, not all these other. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. Love him with everything. Say it again. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Say it again. Yahweh is our God. And just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. You know, in that uh, teaching that Jacob did in Psalm 1, the, the word that it says, I meditate on your Torah day and night, that word for meditate is actually the Hebrew word mutter. You just mutter it to yourself. Just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. And that wasn't the only thing that God had done to remind his people what to do. He also did other things, which we'll get to in a minute. But I, I want to share with you a story about Rabbi Eleazar Silver, who went back to Europe, went back to the area where the Nazis had been in 1945, and wanted to find the Jewish children that had been saved by other families or by orphanages. And so what he would do is he would go to villages and he would recite the Shema. This is in the 20th century, literally thousands of years after these words were given in Deuteronomy. This rabbi goes and he gets all the children together and he says, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu. He says Adonai because he doesn't want to say the divine name, but Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, you know, and he just says it. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, and he goes right through the Shema and he looks at the faces of the children and the ones who are crying. They're the ones that remember their mothers putting them to bed at night and saying those words. And he brings them home. 20 centuries after Christ. And Christ is 10 centuries after David. And David is a bunch of centuries after Moses. What? <laughs> what kind of tradition is this? That generation after generation, they're muttering these words. They're saying them. They're repeating them, repeating them, repeating. To me, as a Christian, I'm impressed by that. I'm impressed by that resolve, by that godly stubbornness not to forget who their God is and to love him. I'm impressed by that. I forget what I had. I don't even, what did we even eat for breakfast? I don't remember. What did we have for lunch yesterday? Like, I forget things all the time. I don't know about you. So we need to remember as well. It says in Numbers 15, verse 37, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and what? Remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them. 
not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. Just love that part at the end. It's like, just in case you were getting a little sleepy, you just slip that in right at the end there. And he literally had him wear these goofy tassels, right? These are, these are, these are sort of like a, a, this is a style thing, right? So maybe you think they're cool. God bless you. But like none of the other nations are wearing tassels, just the Israelite people. Guy says, all right, look, I want you to have tassels. I want you to have long stuff hanging off your clothes so that you remember. I mean, he couldn't do anything more. There was a time when, when Joshua entered the land that God had instructed him. He said, you know what? I want you to build a monument. I want you to put some stones. I want you to plaster it. And I want you to inscribe physically into there. Write it plain so everyone can read the commandments. There are all these physical reminders in Judaism not to forget the core, the quintessential, most fundamental fact of the faith. God used other ways to do it too, like the Passover meal. Think about that. Every year in the Jewish law, they, they keep the Passover for seven days, a feast of unleavened bread, and the Passover meal is called the Seder. And at the Seder, they remember what? Right. How God saved them out of Egypt. They remember the Exodus. You know why they didn't forget the Exodus? Because they actively remember it every year during that holy day or holiday. And then you also have uh, the Feast of Booths, Sukkot. And that's where they have these little temporary structures to remember the fact that after they left, they lived in these temporary structures for 40 years in the wilderness. That's how you don't forget. You do these things. Or even the weekly Sabbath. It says in Deuteronomy 5.15 that the, the weekly Sabbath, taking a day off work every Saturday, was so that they would remember that they were slaves in Egypt. You know what slaves can't do? Take a day off. So Sabbath is a, is a memory too. It's like, why, why can't we work on Saturday? Because we were slaves in Egypt. Hey, I just remembered. You know, like it's to remember, remember, remember. These things were all built in, and the people had to remember generation by generation. So I asked myself, well, what drives, and I mentioned God had an anxiety, and probably half of you were like, eh, I don't really think so, Pastor Sean. See what you think. Look at this, look at this with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. This is, this is the next verse after the, the writing on the doorpost. Okay, so this is right in the same context, and this is what God says. And when the Lord your God, also you could say Yahweh's, and the Hebrew says Yahweh. When Yahweh your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget Yahweh. Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There's a concern, a legitimate concern that God has that his people is going to forget him and what he's done. I tell you, man, when I, when I think, and it's so easy to do this, when I think about ancient Israel, you read the book of Numbers in particular, you think, oh man, 
Oy vavoy, what a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> Tempting him over and over. Oh, where are we going to get water? You know, he, bring, he flies in quail, right? He's got the manna, all these different things. And it's so easy to get on our high horses as the goyim, as the Gentiles, and say, oh, if I were there, I would have I remembered. Look at your own life. How often do you forget? How often do you forget about God? You're going about your day, and you're like, oh, I haven't had a single thought about God today. We're the same, okay? People are people. We're great and we're terrible. And we need to remember. And so if you don't build something into your life to remember, guess what? You're going to forget. It says, once again, in verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord, or Yahweh, your God, you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Verse 14, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For Yahweh, your God, in your midst is a jealous God, lest, and this is the best part, the anger of Yahweh, your God, be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. (laughs) Yahweh is not like a a boyfriend or a girlfriend. This is sort of like, let's have an open relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Yahweh is not polyamorous. He's a jealous God. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to love him. You don't have to worship him. You don't have to believe in him. He set the whole system up so that you would have the freedom to deny him and live as an atheist or live as someone of a, a different faith. That's all available to you. But if you're going to be in a relationship with him, he sets the boundaries. He sets the terms, and he wants absolute fidelity. Most marriages are like that too, right? It's not that weird of a thing. I'm jealous for my wife, as I should be, as she should be for me, right? Yahweh is jealous for his people. If he sees you over there worshiping some other god, he's tempted to wipe you off the face of the earth. That's what he said, right? He said, like, if you go after other guys, I'm just going to wipe you off the face. It's like God has an eraser, and it's just like, goodbye. (laughs) See you, bud. (laughs) And he's actually, it's not like an empty threat. He's like, he's actually capable of racing people. We have scriptural accounts where Uzzah was erased. What about those boys that got swallowed by the earth? Or uh, Aaron's sons who use strange fire during their ordination. So it's, it's, not, that, <laughs> it's not that this is like a, a rhetorical move, like, oh, I'm going to do this really big thing, and I'm just saying that to get your attention. Like, no, it, it actually is a possibility. You notice that right before that, he said, verse 13, it is Yahweh your God you shall fear. Yeah, you should fear him. Not because he's evil, not because he's capricious or has a temper tantrum or something like that. No, you should fear him because he's just that great. He's just that powerful. He's just that holy. He's just that awesome that we should be respectful of him and in fear of him. It says also, in, I just want to show you this a couple other places, Deuteronomy 4.23, take care lest you forget the covenant of Yahweh your God which he made with you. 
Deuteronomy 8.11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. Now, look, I recognize, and this is what I believe, that we are no longer under the Jewish law today. I believe that a new covenant has come that you don't need to keep the Sabbath day. I recognize that. But you do have freedom in Christ to do any of the law that you want to do. So if you want to buy some tefillin and put it on your forehead and on your arm, they're about 200 bucks for a cheap set, and you want to use them in prayer, and you want to pray like a Jew, you think that's going to help you? Go for it. It's not going to hurt you. If you want to put scripture in a little capsule and put it on your door frame, do it. Why not? You can do that if you want. You have freedom in Christ. You can do it or not do it. It's okay. Read Romans 14 about that if you want a scriptural basis. So I'm not trying to put you under the law. But what I am trying to say to you is somehow, I don't care how you do it, somehow you've got to build into your life a way to remember. Somehow you've got to build into your life a way to remember. Otherwise you forget. We live in an age that is secular and antagonistic to our faith. Many of us work in job places where we're surrounded by people that are antagonistic to the Bible, to believing and living in a way that is described in the Bible. We have friends, we have neighbors that think we're weird, that think that we're doing it wrong and that we should just lighten up and just go with the flow. So there's pressure on all of us to some degree to forget or to diminish the importance of it. That's the pressure that we're all living with in this age that we live in. So you got to do something to remember. Let me show you another scripture. This is Psalm 42. Sorry, Garrett, I, I don't have this one memorized, brother. I'm going to have to read it off the slide. He gave us a hard time for having slides. I'm giving him a hard time for memorizing all of your scripture. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you want to know how to remember, you talk to Pastor Garrett over in the back there. He remembers. <laughs> Psalm 42. It says, my tears have been my food day and night. That's not a good time, right? If your tears are your food, that's a, that's a sad place to be, right? While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. This psalmist is in a place far away from home. This person is in another area, another part of the world. This person is not able to go to temple, is not able to be part of the sacrifices. This is written a long time ago when the temple and the sacrifices was the way that everyone was worshiping God at that time. And, and this person's thinking to themselves, oh, man, all these people around me, where is your God? You know, they're taunting. And he's saying to himself, I remember going in the throng. That reminds me, what does he say? Leading them in procession. 
That reminds me of Fawn. Where's Fawn? She's around here. She, there she is. She was leading us in procession last night. You see her dancing in the front at that one point? I love that. It was great. You know, the music team is leading us in worshiping God, offering a sacrifice of praise to God. So some of you are going to places where you don't have a lot of Christian community. Some of you maybe only have online community or you have community, but it's with people that don't share your beliefs. Or you go home and you say to yourself, it was a great weekend, and then after a month, you've forgotten all about it. Does anybody remember Revive from last year? It was a long time ago, right? 365 days is a long time. But look, I think it's good for you to remember these worship experiences that you had, like we had last night. And, you know, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe it's something else for you, a conversation, a prayer time. Maybe it's... Uh, an insight that God just dropped on you when you were reading scripture. Whatever it is for you. you got to remember these things. I was in Pam's workshop yesterday. She challenged us to remember last year. And I remember, I remember, I, I was going through my calendar because I can't remember anything. I can't remember a darn thing. And I was like, wow, look at this. And then this happened, this happened. You know, we were down in Tennessee I went to downtown Nashville, what a pit, and then I came to see you guys, and you said those beautiful words to those boys, you remember that? And you played the song, and everybody cried, that was a beautiful wedding. I was honored of God to be there at that wedding. Rose and Alex was kind of hiding behind Luca in the back there, you know, they had this wedding, and their families came together, and you know, these, these things have happened in the last year. And you know what, as I looked over the things that, that I was involved with last year, you know what I concluded? And it really touched my heart. God worked with me last year. God worked with me last year. I mean, this is the almighty creator. He can work with all the different people in the world. There are billions of us, right? He worked with me. He can work with you. And when I remembered... What happened, I was like, wow. <laughs> like, Because every day I pray, God, help me to serve you today. Every day I pray that. If you're anything like me, like when you're in the day-to-day -day trenches, you just can't see it. Only when you look back and you remember, do you say, wow, huh, I met that, that old guy. I didn't really know who he was, and we had lunch. And then he, he gave me Garrett's phone number. And now here's Garrett and Danny Bova. Wow, like, it's like God was doing something there. I didn't see it at the time. I was just like, well, he seems like a sweet guy, so let's have lunch. You know, like, I didn't, I didn't know who he was, right? So, like, that, that, but that, in the midst of it, you don't, you don't see how God's doing it. When you look back and you remember, that's when you see, at least, at least that's how I see. Some of you are maybe a little easier to, to see it in the moment. I want to give you some suggestions, some practical suggestions while I'm winding down here. One of the greatest things you can do to remember and refresh your memory of what God is like and what he wants and what he's done is to read your Bible. If you can build into your life a daily habit of reading your Bible, I would say that that is just so good for you to remember. For you, maybe that's waking up and doing it in the morning. 
Maybe you have a lunch break that's a great time for you to sit in the car or do it at work. Or maybe for you, it's, it's when you get home from work or, or in your bed right before you fall asleep. Read scripture. You can listen to it. Uh, Pastor Jerry talked about how he spends time with God in the car. Jen mentioned that too, and she's not driving a car anymore, so she's going to have to figure, you have to figure it out, right? Like you're going to have to build, you have to be intentional and build into your life some routine. Use your stupid Google Calendar reminder, whatever. Like figure out some way to remember to do the thing and to pray and to spend time with the people of God. I hang a cross from my rear view mirror in my car. It's so cliche. It's so cliche. I don't care. I ha- like, if I don't have something there, I-, I just forget. You know, it's just too easy to forget during the course of my day. When I get in my car, the stupid thing dangles and jiggles around. I'm like, hey, look, a cross. Jesus died for me. Just like Josh was saying in the song. Jesus died for me. I need to remember that. I need to remember that today that Jesus died for me. And look, the cross is empty. Where'd he go? He's resurrected. He's resurrected. Cross tells me both the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's worth remembering on a daily basis. I have artwork in my house. Some of it my wife likes and some of it she just tolerates. But we have artwork in our house. I've got manuscripts hanging on the walls. I've got, we've got the Shema in two places in our hallway on the way to the kitchen. You can't not hit the Shema to go to the kitchen from the front door. If you miss it on this wall, boom, it's right there. Because I'm stubborn, I'm thick, I'm forgetful, I need to be reminded. So we have calligraphy, we have pictures, we have manuscripts, we have all kinds of stuff all around the house so that we remember. I have Christian t-shirts. Anybody have Christian t-shirts? So what if they're cheesy? They help you remember. They're not all cheesy. There are some good ones now, too. But, you know, like, whatever. Like, you need to remember I have a shirt that says, follow Christ on it. I look down, follow Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I got to follow Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Christian music. Put together that playlist. Get it in the car. Get it while you're in the gym. Build it into your life so that you, that you have those reminders. What about memorizing scripture? Muttering it to yourself over and over again, because that's how you learn scripture. You don't learn scripture by reading it once and then saying to yourself, download complete. That's not how it works. You just have to say it and say it and say it and say it. And then the next day, say it again. Because if you, if you miss even like a day or two, your brain starts to delete what you memorized. It's insane. So like, we have to repeat, repeat, repeat. Sharpen your mind. What about the weekly worship experience on Sunday? That's how you remember. That's how you repeat. Midweek Bible fellowship, classes, podcasts. You need to figure out what it is for you. I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do. We're all different. You figure out what it is for you. Maybe you need to get a tattoo. Maybe you need to hang it on the ceiling so that when you wake up and open your eyes, it's there. I don't know. But you got to do something to remember. Or else you forget. So I want to conclude with one last verse. It's in Deuteronomy 4.31. This is some good news. (laughs) This is some good news for us. For the Lord your God, 
is a merciful God. When you have the power to wipe people out, you want to pair that with mercy. Okay? This is good. This is very good. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. You know who doesn't forget? God doesn't forget. Oh man, that gives me so much comfort to know that he will remember if I am a knucklehead and I forget that I can just go to him and he can remember. He's not gonna, he doesn't have the same tendencies that we have to be like, oh, oh who's that again? You ever meet somebody and then it's a year later, it's like, what was their name? Then you do like the name tag look, and, and if it's a lady, she's like, what are you, lo- what are you, what are you looking at? <laughs> right? It's so awkward. But we forget. We literally forget somebody's name within a year. That's it. It's gone. Forgot your name. Sorry. Thank God he remembers. Thank God he doesn't forget. We can really trust in that, can't we? Now, just before closing down with prayer, I did want to mention one one other thing, and I, I should have mentioned this to Pastor Victor when he gave the announcements, but we have another event in the summertime, and it's called Family Camp. And this is, a, this is a time where we can gather together as believers for an entire week on a lake and hear teachings, and there's lots of free time, lots of time to explore. So I encourage you to consider family camp this summer because, look, one revive to another revive, that's a long time. And look, if you already have stuff on your calendar, you're already doing stuff to remember and to be encouraged by the people of God, then, then that's great. But if not... May I offer to you, in June, late June of this year, we're going to be at family camp in uh, Silver Bay, Lake George, New York. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to remember. Remember that you are the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe, who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, the one who was, who is, who is to come the great and the mighty and the awesome God. Father, we don't want to live on our own, by our own wits. We want to live in the strength of your spirit. We want to be led by you so that we can do the work that you have called us to do. And so many times when we do that work, we can't even see what it does. But we know that you have a superior perspective and that if we're faithful to you, that you will get done the work that needs to be done. I pray and ask for your blessing on all of us today as we conclude our weekend together. And I ask that you would help us to be grounded, that we would be like a tree in a strong wind that stands. Sure, we may bend, but we stand because we're grounded in your love. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that brings this message to a conclusion. What'd you think? Come on over to restitutio.org. It's like the word restitution with no N, dot O-R-G, and find episode 529, Remember, and leave your feedback there. Also, in the show notes for this episode, I have links to events if you are interested in coming to an event. We do have dates for events coming up in this new year posted on lhim.org for those of you interested 
In particular, I encourage you to check out Family Camp, whether you are married or have kids or not. We have lots of singles come to Family Camp. It's not that you have to have a family to come. The idea is that we are the family of God. And it's, it's just a week away from the chaos of life. It's the first week of July, I believe. And we are still in negotiations with the venue to get a contract signed, but uh, that will be done in the near future. So go ahead and save the date for the, I think it's the week of July 4th. We'll be up there at Lake George, uh, one of the most pristine lakes, uh, not just in New York State, but in the entire United States. A very clean lake, very beautiful Mountains all around it, the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, We've got Bible teachings in the morning and at night, and lots of free time in the afternoon to explore and play and develop friendships with others. So if that sounds good to you, uh, save the date. I'll give you an update once registration for that is open, uh, which may be a little while since that's not for (laughs) seven months from now. But some people need to figure out their year in advance, especially with work, and I understand that. In the meanwhile, I did want to mention that my book is finally out. It's called Kingdom Journey, and I'm just so excited to announce that it is available on Amazon or Walmart or Barnes & Noble, whatever website you use to get books uh, should have it by now. And this is really the culmination of 10 years of work, uh, not just research, but also the writing process, the publishing process. It's called Kingdom Journey, and it's about how God plans to renew our world and make everything wrong with it right. Now, what distinguishes this Kingdom of God book from other ones that are already on the market is that it doesn't just explain what the Kingdom of God is from the Bible. It doesn't just challenge the whole heaven, escape the world concept. In addition, the book also describes how we lost, how Christianity lost that beautiful kingdom message, that idea that Jesus taught that the meek shall inherit the earth, or that God's will would be done when the kingdom arrives. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These teachings that Jesus had that uh, in the kingdom of God, in the resurrection, we will sit at table with Abraham and the others who will eat, presumably, actual food, and it will be a physical embodied existence on this planet. Um, This whole idea, how was it lost? What in the world happened? And I've done the research on that, and to my knowledge, it's groundbreaking research. I I don't know of anyone else that's put it together in the way that I have. Uh, If I had, I don't think I would have written the book (laughs) because it was a lot of work tracing this stuff down. Uh, Not that it's completely unheard of. Uh, There are plenty of sources I use to investigate the case, but nobody puts it together into a cohesive story. So that's the second part of the book is looking at how in the world do we lose the kingdom? And then the third part, this is really encouraging, is how did Christianity regain and recover this kingdom message? So I talk about the Anabaptists 500 years ago. A lot of them had rediscovered the kingdom of God. Basically, as soon as the Bible got into the language of the people, people started discovering the kingdom of God again. And then in the 1800s, especially in the United States, there were a lot of different Adventist movements And these movements came to be because people discovered upon reading the Bible that Jesus is coming back. And it was like, what do you mean he's coming back? That's really weird. I thought we were just going to heaven. I thought we were going to him. Why would he come here? 
And that really spurred on a huge shift in thinking in this country. And then last but not least, the German scholars, the German critical scholars uh, led by Johannes Weiss and Albert Schweitzer in the late 1800s, early 1900s, started to really figure this out. And as a result, scholarship to this day, most New Testament scholars will tell you, they'd be happy to tell you, that the kingdom of God idea is not referring to the church, it's not referring to heaven, it's referring to a renewed world when the Messiah reigns. And this is a beautiful message. It's a beautiful message that should really affect our lives. And so the book is chronicling the biblical case of what it is, the historical case of how we lost it, and the historical case of how we found it. And then it concludes with a challenge. And the challenge is to become a kingdom ambassador. So I think this book will have something for you, even if you have believed in the kingdom of God for your whole life or for a number of years. I think there's still plenty to learn here. But also, this book, I pray, will serve an evangelistic purpose as well, because I don't believe the kingdom is just sort of a vague hope about like, oh, I hope this really happens, it'd be really great. No, I think the kingdom is actually part of our message. In fact, the foundation or primary part of the gospel message itself is about the kingdom of God, at least if we're going to take our cue from Jesus. And it's like, well, who else are we going to take it from? He certainly identified the kingdom as the gospel that he preached, and I think if we're going to be faithful to him, he said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So I don't believe the end is going to come, despite all the knuckleheads writing books, until this message gets out there. So will you help me do that? If you'd like to, get the book. If you are so inclined send it to somebody who needs to hear it. There are so many Christians in the world today who have never heard the message that Jesus spent all of his time preaching. Doesn't that just blow your mind? All they hear about is going to heaven, this sort of vague medieval folk religion about, you know, hell with pitchforks and this ridiculous torture idea or heaven as a never-ending floating on a cloud. Come on, that's ridiculous. It's not in the Bible. The kingdom is what it's all about. So yeah, I wrote a book about it. I'm really excited about it. I'll probably do a future episode just on the book in more detail, but I just wanted to mention it to you here at the end of this episode and encourage you if you'd like to support Restitutio, if you'd like to support my work, uh, it would really mean a lot if you would pick up the book. And even more importantly, Uh, that you would share about it on social media. If you do order the book, when it comes in the mail, take a picture, put it on social. It would really help because that's the only way that this book can eventually have reach is if it it goes beyond people that I directly know to reach others that you know and then others that they know and so on and so forth. So, So appreciate your help. Many of you have already liked and shared my Facebook post about this. You know, I know a lot of people are on, are not on Facebook or on other things. So many things, it's hard to even keep track of. So please help me out if you can. Well, that brings this episode to a close. If you'd like to support us, you can do that at restitutio.org. We'll catch you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.